It's easy to look outside of the group of the chosen and expect all the bad things to come at us. In fact, there are ministries that are funded by keeping that flame of paranoia burning. Our generation is no different than the ones before in that respect. We believe that another denomination, secular music, secular media, secular everything else will be the downfall of our established faith. Perhaps. But perhaps we, who staunchly believe, and sometimes without really knowing God, may be so tied to our human doctrines that we've missed seeing the principles within Scripture. Love God and be respectful of our neighbors. The principles of the Ten Commandments. Because in the end, during Jeremiah's time, God had to send the Babylonians to save the remnant from themselves. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Welcome to this last study on the book of Jeremiah. My name is Falvo Fowler, and this is my last show season of hosting Sabbath School U. It's been a blast. I'll still produce, I think. But uh, this is my last time, and these three will be taking us, I'm hoping, in good places. But I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Elroy, and I've been with the Sabbath School U team for a little while now. How, how long, actually? See if you can remember this. A few years, almost dating back to my college days. Yeah, back when we were producing Sabbath School with you and at Andrews. Andrews. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Gabby, and I, oh, I don't know what to say about myself. I'm from Colombia. Not Maryland. No, Colombia, South America, right. the best country in the world. Oh, I'm sorry, can't say that. You just did. <laughs> I'm Michael Martell, and um, I'm originally from New York, living here in Maryland, and uh, I've been with Sab School U for about uh, a little over two years now. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're all here. Elroy, since you're the elder statesman of Sabbath School U, in this panel at least, if you could read scripture and pray for us, please. Okay. Reading scripture, today's text is from Jeremiah 23, verse 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Father God, you are awesome. And for that, we want to study and learn a little bit more about you and the characters in the book that you inspired many others to write. So help us as we understand a little bit more about Jeremiah and his time is our prayer in your name. Amen. 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 You know, when we started off the study and I started, I mean, I've read the book of Jeremiah before, but there's something about a concentrated study where you're going through it. I was expecting to hear like a blues undertone music soundtrack to the whole mm -hmm. thing of this is horrible. But as I read, started reading through it, there's this character of God that I've seen displayed and exemplified in so many parts of it. What do you see from uh, the character of God in your study of Jeremiah through these 13 studies? When, when, I, when I look at the, the study here with Jeremiah, one of, the, one of the things that pops out the most vividly to me in the character of God is his determination to, to save us. There's a determination that is displayed between what many may assume is probably the actions of a, of a stern and forceful God, but not necessarily you know, to appease his personal, his personal will, but more so that we're saved. If that personal will is to give us salvation, that's the motivation behind that determined drive. And I think we've identified God as a God of determination, a God of action anyway, but specifically through the different uh, scenarios we see brought, brought forth through Jeremiah's life. That's what, what sticks out to me. 
It's like, you know, you should look at God. It's like the nation, his chosen are dying. He's like, no, no, they're not dead. Honestly, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> it, you know, through the whole, that determination of somebody who loves somebody so much that they refuse to believe the body is cold. And, and also, also that he's not going to just save them in that state. He's like, we're going to polish you guys up. You are the chosen people. We are going to make this work. And, and he's, gi he's giving them every opportunity for them to kind of live that out. I just see God having a broken heart throughout most of this book. I mean, he has loved his people. He has loved the nation of Israel for a long time now, and they just decide to do their own thing, go their own way, and God is like, you know what? If, uh, if they're not going to repent now, maybe by them surrendering to uh, another nation or another kingdom, maybe they'll finally get it and surrender to me. So I see his broken heart here, and I'm feeling a lot of his passion through these texts, uh, especially through his communication with Jeremiah, very vivid imagery and uh, symbolism throughout the chapters. But I think his broken heart is what drives him to continue to, you know, push for our salvation and push for that better understanding. Because without that broken heart, you don't have that feeling within you that, you know, I'm sure that God has every time somebody sins. And throughout the book of Jeremiah, every time somebody fell, um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but when you bring that element of the broken heart of God into this, this relationship that he has with the children, it, with they're Israelites, it's chosen, is you almost make it sound like a really bad, well, dare, I don't mean it the way it sounds, but I'm going to say it anyhow, like a really bad country song. Is, is, you know, somebody's gone and you're still pining for them even though they're gone. But it isn't quite like that. It's right. like there are faithful pockets of people that are just overwhelmed by this, this apostasy. Mm -hmm. And God roots for the faithful influencing the majority rather than, you know, all corruption taking back. I and mean, there's this not only a devotion to his people, and, and I'm not sure if devotion would be the right word, but uh, more like this love for him. Um, how, does the, how have you experienced that love in your life? In order for us to truly understand the gift of salvation, we have to have experienced some uh, dependency on who God is and what he has offered. And I think that I think that when we're looking at the story of the Israelites in, in the interaction with Jeremiah, there, has, there was a lack of willingness to fully depend and rely on who God was and what he was offering them. How different is it today? I mean, our life is all the self. I mean, from, you go from the selfie to everything else. Right. You know, this is my status. This is my thing. Right. There's this reliance of doing it on our own. And, and so when I think about how I've experienced it, I don't know that I can truly say outside of a scenario where I've had to fully surrender and leave my own understanding and lean on God and, and fully depend on what it is he has said in his word and what he will lead me through that I've actually experienced who God was. I might say I know who God is. I might read about who God is. I might be able to define who God is. But to actually experience it would have been in a time where I was fully dependent on what it was he was offering. I like how you say all these things. You can define it. You know it and everything else. But if you don't have that experience, that relationship, You've, you've lost something there. I look at it as, um, in terms of just God being a, a parent who is almost tired of trying to discipline me and is almost like, you know what? You're going off to boarding school. I, that's, <laughs> the military school, the bad or, or military to get you. school, seriously, <laughs> right. they're coming to get you. They're coming to pick you up. I'm not going to tell you when, but it's going to happen. And so I just, uh, that's how I felt. I almost felt like, you know, God as our father, you know, loved us, whatever, tries to discipline us. We didn't want to listen. We got older, we got rebellious, we got full of ourselves, and God is like, okay, I love you, but I'm going to send you off. 
you know, it won't be forever. It'll be for uh, an amount of time, but I'm going to send you off. So while you're there, you can learn about how much I love you. Or you'll see how good you had it here. You know, some of those parents, oh, you don't know how good you have it until you're over there, you know. So I think that's what he was trying to, to tell us. We him. had an experience like that last night. We were dealing uh, with a situation with my older daughter who's, you know, getting to that point where she wants to figure out her independence. She was with a group of friends, and she did something. It wasn't major, it wasn't a big deal, but it was one of those things you want to sort of nip in the butt. Um, so she, we, I asked her a question, she didn't tell me the story, and I knew the whole story. So later on I had this conversation and started blowing up, and then it, she didn't get upset. But I started, me and my wife and I started blowing up about this. Then we had to calm down and figure this out, and this girl was heartbroken, but she realized what she did wrong. And as upset as I was for what she did, before going to bed, I had to stop by her room and kiss her on her forehead and make sure she was okay and she was covered and everything else. And I realized, you know, that's how God is with, in the book of Jeremiah. Is He's mad. I mean, he is, he is mad as can be. I mean, he brings out curses on them like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's just there's something about that relationship, that he, that his, his love for his people. Mm -hmm. And it's tough. And it's like I'll have friends that will say, Man, God is God was just horrible here. How could he do this? Like, how dare him? He's always talking about death and, and wanting to put them away. But uh, I don't think they realized anytime God was punishing someone, like God didn't initially start that. It was followed by disobedience. And it was followed by disobedience, usually over a certain period of time. You know, there was a covenant. There were there were marriage vows, so to speak, that was actually taken. And they broke it over and over again. And so at this point, like you said, God was furious. The difference was in your story, your daughter got it. The nation of Israel didn't. I think it makes God so much more real mm -hmm. for him to have gotten upset, for him to have felt that pain that, you know, his people were going astray. And I feel like that in relation to us now, it makes him more relatable because you know you have that fear, and it's not a bad fear, but you have that fear of God because you don't Reverence. want him. Yeah, you don't want him to be upset. And, I mean, I, I feel like God throughout the whole Bible goes through all these emotions, and, um, you know, there's times where he's happy with us when he's sad with us. It makes him real. It makes him relatable to us at least. And his anger wasn't... Even the cursing wasn't with malice. It's right. like, yeah. here are the consequences of what you did. Mm -hmm. You've taken it away from me, the protection that I provided. Mm -hmm. So because of the actions you've taken, here are the things that are going to happen. And, and, uh, and also, one thing that I think sometimes we, we forget when we read stories like these is that God didn't just unleash wrath. There was always an explanation. There was always a warning. There was always some sort of, of instruction that, that followed or it's like he walked you through it Talk about you know it. what i mean and and so if you're not keen on 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 understanding what the purpose of that interaction is supposed to be then you kind of miss the point mm. you miss the point of the entire experience but see that's what i, I mean, it's easy to first look back at them but we go through the same thing now but if you look at the gods of the other religions or the, the people, the idols that they chose to follow, those are, and from mythology and the stories that they've told us, they don't have an, a reason for their anger. They don't like something, they're just gone. They want something, they get it. And here's, here's God from scripture that, that tells you, here's what you did, mm -hmm. here's a consequence, here's how I'm coming back to get you. This is what I put it, he, he explains it all and says, you took it out of my hands, but I'm still gonna bring you back in. Mm -hmm. It must have been tough, though, for Jeremiah to have to deal with all this. I mean, if you go back to, uh, I think I was reading Jeremiah 12, he uh, was kind of having this dialogue with God, and, and he was honest. It, I guess the title, the subheading to that was Jeremiah's question, 
and 12, uh, 1, quickly reading, it says, uh, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. And he goes on, he says, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? And it's tough, but it wasn't just back then. You know, it's, it's now as well. And those wicked that he's talking about aren't the ones that didn't believe in God. These mm. are the ones that considered themselves the chosen. Mm. Oh. Mm. You know, he goes, why are these people that get up there and preach like they know Scripture, why are they doing all these things on a personal level? Why are they, you know, micromanaging people for their own personal gain? Why are they doing these things, whether they're kings or the leadership? There's something that's being done, or even the local congregation. They were, they, they were an, an embedded, I mean, idolatry was embedded in their whole culture. Mm. They chose to bring it in. And yet they get up there and they, they sing, they do all these things. And he's going, why are these people getting better at whatever they're doing? Why are they getting more seemingly blessed? You would think they would have learned the commandments by now, right? I mean, especially the first one. I mean, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think that was one of the major issues in the book of Jeremiah as well. Jeremiah 10, 1 to 5. Here we go. It tells you, uh, what I mean, the major sins of the people was idolatry. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, how did what did that have to do with the culture that because because okay they come out of Egypt God gives them the Ten Commandments the first part of the Ten Commandments about your relationship with God why was that part important that relationship with God I think it was an acknowledgement of realizing where their help came from you know it was a constant reminder of realizing that God was the one who like you said brought them out of Egypt uh, God was the one who had promised that he would make them a nation would carry them to the promised land so is that a, a corporate relationship? As in, we all come together and we say, yes, Lord, good job. Thank you very much. We're going now. Or is it more of a, was the first part of the Ten Commandments more of a personal, personal. development? Personal. Well, and see, that's, How do you see that? Well, I think that's why it goes back to um, f fully understanding what it is that God would have you do. Because, you know, we can, we can hear the direction that God is leading. We can receive that instruction from church leadership from even scripture but until you have that personal relationship with god you don't know how those items are to take effect in your life mm -hmm. and until you know what your personal responsibilities are with that within that relationship i'm not sure how you're how you're ever going to fully be able to understand how to even accept the gift of salvation because it's really up to us to to accept that gift that's already been handed to us and so if we don't know how to accept it I'm pretty sure we don't know what it is we're supposed to be living out. So we can know it, and we can know the things about it, right. but unless we experience it, which what brings it down to a personal relationship, mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got textbook. Right, mm -hmm. right. And it's that corporate relationship. It's not a personal relationship. But I mean, a lot of times we'll blame the people, but what about the kings as well? I mean, you know, you're, you're a nation, you're going to follow your king. I think that may have been one of the issues um, with God even wanting to have a king in the first place. But you got to keep in mind, all those people believe those kings were selected and appointed by God. Mm -hmm. So when the king did something, they figured, well, this must be the appointment of God. That, I mean, that makes no sense when you had the Mosaic Law there, you know, I don't understand. Because uh, probably, I mean, if think about it. If you're there and your leadership chooses to do something that they want to do, regardless of what is biblically correct, whatever the principles are, they want to do their own thing. And they stand there and say, well, you know, we've been appointed by God. Everybody, most people that don't have a better understanding of life beyond what they're told to do will follow blindly. Listen. The ones that do are usually cut off. And this is the this is a part and of I the And I literally problem. mean cut off. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is the part of the problem though. Part of the problem was if if you're relying on the king's leadership 
to help determine how your spiritual life should be acted out. That means you've never actually had that personal relationship. You've participated in this corporate relationship mm -hmm. of how you will be instructed. But I think scripture is trying to remind us always, it is my instruction that you should be following. Mm -hmm. And if you see even your leadership veering off, you have guidelines, you have the word of the Lord to help guide you in that way. And we can blame others for misguiding us, but I think once you've taken that step to have that personal relationship, it gets harder and harder to blame someone else. Which is what you see in the, the Reformation. This isn't following blindly the head of the church at that point in time. And I'm not, you know, no aspirations of heads of churches, but when it was veering off way to a personal agenda, the reformers came through and set things right, which is what Jeremiah is doing here. Mm, mm, mm. Um, with the idols that people followed at that time, most of the times they were actually physical objects of some sort. We tend to pride ourselves in, in the monotheistic realm that we don't have idols. Mm -hmm. Do we? Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. we do. Everywhere, everything. Um, uh, friendships, uh, you know, sometimes we take we wake up in the morning thinking about someone that our, our friends or even our family can become our idols, our, our phones, our everyday life um, can become an idol. And I know that, um, speaking from a personal standpoint, I know that I've had to sit down and write a list of things that were taking place of my morning worships or my prayer before going to bed. And that list started off with two or three things and then when I really sat down and I prayed to God I was like in tears because I'm like God how have I gotten all these things even this sounds kind of weird but even like my prayers for other people um, were getting in the way of my relationship with God and my trying to grow with him so yeah our idols are everywhere like our church can be an idol. Like, our ministry you know, like can be our an idol. Ministry mm -hmm. Our church leaders, I think, have become idols to many of us, and that is something that we can parallel from that time to now. And we, we talked about it. You know, there was this dependency on the kings, on the prophets, to tell them how this lifestyle is supposed to be, the lifestyle of Christianity. But really, God had already provided it to them, mm -hmm. but they looked to these people because it was almost like they had a direct linked to God. What does the idol represent? The idol represents who the God is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have that personal relationship and you're linking people to this deity or things to this deity or taking the place of that deity, then I think we're, we're, we're finding more and more things take the place of idolatry. And, and when we look at our, even our church leadership or even our ministries, what are we linking our spiritual relationship to that we've now made an idol. We've got these formulas on how to pray. We've got these formulas on how to do ministries. We have these psychologically tested ways of converting. We've got all these things in place and believe that they are, and sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. It's hard to tell the difference because it's, it's such a thin line. It's such an area of gray. Um, Jeremiah 44, uh, 15 to 16 and 15 to 17, uh, they, they go over to talk to these people and go, yeah, we know what God says, but we're, basically going to do our own thing. Right. Go, I'm sorry. Going back to what we're talking about idols, I think that for us, 
now maybe I'm biased but I think like it's more it's even more difficult for us to realize our idols now than it was then because then it was physical idols that they would worship and now I feel like they sneak in on you mm. you don't realize Absolutely. that you oh, the yeah. idols that you're having are actually idols and are taking the place of your growth in Christ and you'll notice this you'll see you know you see people that come to the church come to the faith um, and they hold fast to it then their kids are raised in that and when the kids have kids then the grandparents will just let their grandkids kind of do whatever that they wouldn't let their kids do. Mm -hmm. And then the parents will let that. And eventually their offsprings or the generations after that become the part that leads them astray. Mm -hmm. It's like you look at scripture, it's full of stories like that. Gideon, great story, great victory and everything else. And then when they come and say, hey, we want to build a monument. We want, to do, we want you to be the leader. He goes, no, just give me an ephod of gold. So he takes it and puts it up in front of his house. And boom, they come all over the place to worship the ephod of gold because that's what gave them the victory as, a, as opposed to looking back at God. Yeah. So what, what can we do to sort of make sure that doesn't happen to us? I think it's being very careful of how we establish uh, man-made doctrines and sometimes setting man-made doctrines as idols and statues in our own homes and our own beliefs and remembering where our... That's really hard, you know, because man-made doctrines and whatever else, we find biblical passages to justify to what we just up. pushed it's, out. It's hard, and if we, if we don't, we'll find other things to put together to say, okay, in the beginning, Jesus died, you know. Yeah. Like, okay, now there it is. That's what we need. I think it, it, it does Even though I walk through the valley somewhere in the middle. It does come back to a, the, the personal aspect of things because I think that... Um, in order, I mean, there's a, there's a laziness that occurs spiritually. I think a person encounters probably time to time throughout their spiritual walk. But when, when, you've, when you be, become lackadaisical with your interaction with spirituality, you kind of want something to take the place of your personal responsibility. And then when you find that thing, it, it's easy to feel comfortable saying, okay, I may not be doing this, 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 and this, but I have this, and that takes care of that. So I, I should be good. Because symbolically, we've achieved what we think needs to have been mm -hmm. achieved, but nothing's happening in here. You know? That experience, that right. personal relationship. It's like if you're in a marriage and you go through, okay, I'll get the roses on Friday before the Sabbath. I did. I will, I will. <laughs> oh, did you? I'm not using Elwise as, as an example roses. for this. <laughs> But I get the roses on Friday for the Sabbath. I'll kneel you. in the morning. I'll kneel in the afternoon. We'll have this prayer. But there, and then during the, the rest of the time, I'm not communicating. There is no sharing of my life. Mm -hmm. There is no involvement of, hey, how do I do this? There's that disconnect. I mean, I can follow step one, step two, step three. But if there's no other parts of it, you know, the, the, the sharing of life experiences, you've got a very, very sterile relationship. Yeah. That's that's a really good example and mm. I feel like that kind of defines our our pact with God, you know, like the covenant. When, the covenant. Yeah, when when you have this relationship with God and when you are filled with his spirit and you're you know what you're doing, the covenant just becomes easy. Like the following following his commandments just becomes second nature and I think that that's um, that's something that we forget that it's, it's not, it's not hard. It's not hard to get those roses on a Friday night. It's not hard to, you know, do this and that and that, but it can, like, it can just become so easy if you just have that relationship. You don't, you won't have to try. It's not like, oh, I have to remember to do this and this and this. And It'll may, just happen. Maybe a silly analogy is like maybe, I don't know, like a long distance relationship or any relationship where you don't have consistent 
interaction with a person physically. It's it's like okay, you start writing the letters, and then maybe they send you an object, you know, like a, a an object, like a watch or <laughs> you know a photo book, and you know this now becomes. The representation yeah. of that relationship, mm -hmm. and so like every night before bed, you look at the photo book, or yeah. you know, you you kind of just they send you a, stat, a little Statue of Liberty because they're from New York, and you know, you want to just hold it and look at it for a little bit. <laughs> this now is how you dote I, yeah. on that love, that, that I know relationship. People, I know yeah, people yeah. that have been in relationships like that, and then finally six months later, they actually meet the person. Like, wait, that's not the image I had of you. Or the moment <laughs> something oh, yeah. goes wrong it all goes to the trash. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And so, <laughs> are we doing this because we don't know how to interact with who God is? Do, do we say the Bible is that thing? Do we say my ministry is that thing? Is that that thing that we're using to yeah. kind of cultivate that, the absence of a physical relationship? Those are the kind of things I kind of think of when we think about how easily idols can slip into our, our life or our, and that's probably why phones and social media kind of takes the place. You don't have that interaction with friends. Mm. So you, this is now the face of how that happens. So your conversations are usually like 150 characters or less. Mm -hmm. So when you meet face to face, you're like, you're talking too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so emojis get the job done here. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer words. It's just like little characters that come up there and say, okay, that's, that's right. how I feel. There's a because whole I cannot tell you how I feel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you fast forward to the time of Christ. What are the similarities that you see between Jeremiah and Jesus? Man. At, oh, so I was going to say ahead, Jeremiah no. was unpopular in his, own, in his own hometown, and Christ talked about it. I mean, you know, grew up there, had a message to tell people. It was against what they were currently doing. And they wanted to kill him, kill him for sharing the good news, which seemed like bad news at the time, but essentially it was good news in the long run. So I just saw this guy that had extreme love for his people. Christ loved his people, wanted to save them. And they wanted to kill both of them. And they wanted to kill both of them. So Tough crowd. I also think there's this, um, there's a semblance of, of a personal mourning that they had to kind of almost hold within so mm -hmm. that they can still be effective. And, you know, I imagine that's an intense weight and burden to have placed on you to say, okay, this is the message that you have to share. It's not going to be popular. People are not going to want to hear it. But through it all, I need you to be that face. I need you to be that representation. And so that's really you, a hard one. It's easier to, it's easier to yeah. preach to non-believers and tell them yeah. all of this, but to go to your own kind. Mm. I mean, and, and when you look at it, that's what Jesus was doing yeah. is he was not preaching. He was telling parables to the rest of society, mm -hmm. but to his own kind, oh, he, was. He, was, he was preaching. Mm -hmm. well, that's a scary thing. I mean, if you look back at one of the previous lessons that we did, it talked about Christ, a crisis. One of the scariest things for them was they were going through a crisis and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. And I think sometimes that happens in the Christian church as well. We think that we've arrived, that because we have a wealth of information and, and we study the Bible and have all these doctrines, that we, that we know everything. But what mm -hmm. if we don't? Right. So in 15 seconds, if you were to each of you tell me, 15 to 20 seconds, tell me what would you tell to a group of people that believed strongly that they were following God's ways, but they were completely out of it? I'm, I'm, I'm broken. Besides repent. I'm broken just as much as you are, and, and we need help. We need to constantly turn back to God. I would just hand them the Bible and sit with them and go over things that, you know, like God has commanded us to do and we're not doing. I'd ask them to, to state what it is one more time and to recheck, re-fact check that, that approach just to see if there's anything they may have missed. 
yeah, there's a part of me that wants to take the Bible, hit them over the head with it, and then pray with them. <laughs> That's just to get their attention. That too would be but chances too. are I'm probably part of that group and don't know. And there are times when I actually take the Bible and go, oh, way, what have I done? But I think it comes down to understanding what God has for you and, and working towards that through scripture and fellowship. So I create, appreciate your fellowship. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U and This Last Time, I'm Falvo Fowler. Mm -hmm.